I remember when I had left bachelor and I was like trying to get on E and it just, I, it wasn't fitting. Right. There was nothing for me there. I wasn't like getting called at like friends that were getting called there. And I was mm. like, and there was a point in time where I was like, you know, I don't, do I really care about celebrity news that much? Is that, is that my meaning? Is that what I care about now that I've been, now that I've created heartbroken anonymous and, and I realized that what I actually really love is talking to people and interviewing people and getting to interview actors and of TV shows and movies about the message behind their film and what they're trying to say to the world and how they embody a character and the psyche behind them. It's, it's way more in line with like who Naz is than just like how it was working on Bachelor. Just, I just have this innate curiosity for, for people and how they think about things and, and why they do things. So, so yeah, working for Rotten Tomatoes is an absolute dream job. And then it's the world, you know, you make plans and God laughs because right. now I'm working for E too. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. I am so excited to introduce you guys to this amazing guest, Naz Perez. Naz is sort of, you know, someone who does a million different things. We talk about the idea of the Renaissance man or woman. She is truly a Renaissance woman. She started off on the Ellen show, right? And she had many internships and freelance work before then, but she counts the Ellen show as her first job. And she's done everything from being a producer on The Bachelor, producer on E! A True Hollywood Story. She's worked red carpets. She's worked the spinoff for The Bachelor as well, as including The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise. She has a podcast called I Don't Get It. She has her own support group that she's founded, and she does bi-monthly meetings, memberships called Heartbreakers Anonymous, which we talk about. And she's also an on-camera host for Rotten Tomatoes. She has a couple shows, The Catch-Up and The Binge on that. And then she's also the host at various other places, including Dodger Stadium. She does hosting for T-Mobile, for ATTN, and she's a correspondent, as well as, you know, appearing on things like E's Nightly Podcast and being a correspondent on those type of shows. So she does so much and we talk about her journey and everything she's learned from that journey and, you know, how everything really led to where she is today. And I really think of her as someone who's very focused on her goal. You know, she says she's working her dream job right now at Rotten Tomatoes, which is amazing. But everything that she worked at kind of contributed to that goal. All that, you know, the skills that she was cultivating at her other jobs really helped her now where she is today. I was trying to get as much information out of her in the short time we had together, what felt like a short time. But she does so much. She's someone I look up to. I think you guys will too. Without further ado... Welcome, Naz Perez. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so, so happy to have you, really, truly. This is so wonderful for me. So I always like to start, this podcast is really sort of geared towards how people start in the industry and then how they moved up. So how did you start? What was your first job in the entertainment industry? 
So my first job was at the Ellen DeGeneres show in Burbank, California. I remember when I told my parents I was moving to California, they're like, how are you going to do it? Where are you going to live? And um, my mom actually had a friend, like a family friend that lived out here. And so I took over her child's toy room and lived in my mom's family's friend's kid's toy room for four months and slept on an air mattress, um, you know, amongst all like the Fisher Price (laughs) sort of things around me. And and I worked at Ellen um, for four months and um, I actually started as an intern there and, you know, was first one there, last one to leave, worked really hard, made sure I got all my coffee orders right as one does being a production assistant or an intern, I would say. And then I actually got hired as a production assistant. um, Yeah. And like a month by the, like that was quick. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty awesome because I took an internship out of college, which isn't what a lot of people do, or, or I don't know if people do it now, but back then people, you know, you graduated and you got a job. Yeah. And I was like, I think a really great way to get in is to take an internship. If you're lucky enough to find one that doesn't require college credit and Ellen didn't right. at the time. Um, so I was making $9 an hour and I made it very known, you know, that I had already graduated unlike the other interns and that I really wanted to stay in LA and, and I really loved the job. And so, yeah, I got hired within a month. They were like, we could use another production assistant. So it was really awesome. It totally worked. And then after I was there, I, I um, majored in broadcast journalism. So I didn't want to lose sight of like, you know, wanting to be a host and wanting to work on E and, you know, that was like everyone's dream back then. I watched Juliana Rancic's True Hollywood Story, like yeah. in my dorm. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Me. Yeah. yeah. So while I was on a run for Ellen, I think I was like getting her lunch or something. I um, Googled where E was and I drove to E and I asked them where HR was and I handed HR my resume. Nice. And I got a call a couple weeks later um, for the Mexican Billboard Awards that NBC Universal was producing. And NBC Universal you know, owns E, Bravo, Oxygen, like right. all the panel style network. And so I was like, oh, well, like I want to work at E, but like, you know, you never know. Like, let me, let yeah. me take a day off. Let me get this in at NBC and, and just work this, um, work this event. And so I did. And lucky for me, the guy, you know, that, excuse me, I have to burp. This is so gross. <laughs> okay. Um, it's out. Um, lucky for me, after I worked it, of course, you know, serendipity, the executive producer that I was working for is the same one that does E live from the red carpet. Mm. And he puts together a freelance team for three months to work award season, which is, you right. know, all the red carpets, the, right. the Oscars, the Grammys, the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards. You know, he was like, if you want to join the team, let me know. And I was like, oh man, I just got hired at Ellen. Right. I want to stay in LA. My, I've never really, you know, gotten financial help from my parents. I've always had to do it on my own. So I remember crying and like, I'll never forget. I think her name was Nicole Collins's office at Ellen, you know, because they had just hired me and it was a daytime talk show. And a lot of people want to work at Ellen. And and I loved working there actually, but, but I didn't want, I was like, but what? So just to tell people I work at Ellen, like, I don't want to work on a talk show. That's, that wasn't my, wasn't, yeah. Right. So I was like, I have to take this risk, which is really scary. And so I did it. And, you know, I was on the red carpet with Ryan and Juliana and all these like crazy, right. And and it was insane. I was like, Oh my God, this is like a dream come true. And then of course the day after the Oscars, I was unemployed, you know, it was a three month job. And 
And I started feeling really regretful of my decision. And I was like, oh, did I make the right decision? Did, you know, I did get an NAE, but they don't have a job for me right now. What do I do? I felt very lost. And when I was majoring in broadcast journalism in college, I really wanted to be a sideline reporter. And I sort of interned in like all these, I interned for all these different sports organizations like Fox Sports Florida, Tennis Channel, ESPN, EA Entertainment. And so I really wanted to work in sports and it wasn't until the summer right before I graduated, I changed my mind and wanted to go into entertainment. Fast forward, I'm unemployed. I'd been out in LA for now, I think I want to say six to eight months. I worked at Ellen and E and then I was unemployed and I was reading GQ magazine because I love fashion. I was reading the men's one and I was reading about this designer that makes clothes for basketball players, but really high end stuff because they can't walk into, you know, like Louis Vuitton and buy yeah. a super rack. They're like 200 pounds, six foot. And three. like seven foot. Yeah. yeah. And all these, all these athletes, especially NBA players were dressing like to the nines. Mm. And it was something that I took a lot of interest in because I came from this world of sports, which I loved. So, you know, I very much knew who the players were, who played on each team, what their stats were, how many rebounds they got. You also had, didn't you have like a job at NBA at some point? You worked there for like a month at something? Yeah. So the thing is, is so in college, like I was saying when I interned, working for NBA entertainment. So when I was unemployed, I should, I actually haven't mentioned this in a lot of my interviews, but um, NBA Entertainment would come out to LA because Dwight Howard had just came to the Lakers and played with Kobe. And so they were, uh, and Chris Paul was playing on the Clippers. So they were putting a lot of their focus on the LA teams at the time. And because I had moved here, great you know, advice is always to keep in touch with the people you work with. I was like, hey, if you guys ever need me, like I live in LA now, you know, and so NBA would hire me, you know, here and there. It was like, you know, yeah. once or twice a year or actually a couple times a year where I would go to the games and I would help the phantom camera photographer, which is, I don't, I don't know if you like NBA, Michelle, but when you're watching um, an NBA commercial and you see the players like, you know, jump up and just slam dunk, but it's like in really slow motion, yes. it looks like they're flying. So that's all shot on this camera called the phantom camera, which is like right. a really expensive camera has like a massive battery that it requires a person to just lug around this battery. So that was my job. I would lug around the phantom camera battery. I'd make sure there were all these, you know, batteries charged. Anyways, long story short. So yeah, I, I had always been around the world of NBA. I'd always been fascinated by it. Um, but again, like I told you, loved fashion. And so right about this designer that was making clothes for these athletes. And, and I asked to interview him because, you know, I had this broadcast journalism degree. Yeah. And I learned how to, you know, operate a camera and edit and, and, and do interviews. So I interviewed him. And then um, after I interviewed him, I was like, well, what do I do with this interview? It was just something I did out of passion, which I think... Yeah those moments when you, when you are unemployed or you're living in that uncertainty or you're not happy in your job, like it's so important to just like do something that you're really into doing, you know, yes. it's, it's the thing that you would do for free. So this was just like something I really wanted to, to pursue. So I started this domain called sidelinestyles.com. Long right. story, I'm like dragging this out. And I started covering, I put the interview up on the website and I started covering what athletes were wearing, mm. like what LeBron was wearing when he was like playing for the heat, what Dwayne Wade was wearing and all these athletes started following me. And I, I felt really like I found my niche, even though I was unemployed, making no money. Yeah. I had a friend that moved out to LA and we shared a studio apartment together. So we had in Los Feliz, we had two mattresses in a studio apartment in Los Feliz. Wow. I think we 
400 each for rent. So it was nice. like unemployment was like covering. My rent. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I, I really was like just trying to get by, but I was doing this website. It was, and it was so cool because no one was really talking about what athletes were wearing. So I felt like I really found my niche. I really found like this marriage of two, two worlds that I loved, which was fashion and sports. Right. And so then um, I got a call from the Style Network that year. This was in 2013. Right. And they were like, because I was taking hosting classes. So I had met a couple casting directors and stuff around mm. town. And Do you remember and, where you took those hosting classes? Yeah, Maureen Brown, who I absolutely love. I don't know if anybody out there knows her. She's not. She's no longer teaching, but I think she was just the best of the best. And she would bring casting directors by. And I think one time I mentioned, you know, I love fashion and sports or whatever. So which is great advice. Like always tell everybody what you want to yeah. do because then obviously months later I get this call and they need, they need a girl to cover the SBs, the ESPN right. or on the red carpet. It's like um, the Oscars of the ESPN. Yeah, exactly. But somebody that knew about fashion, right? Right. Because like, it was for style network, yeah. but also knew who these athletes were. And so it ended up being this weird, like, you know, those moments where you're just like, life is so weird because that designer that I was just telling you about that I had yes. interviewed, his name's War Air Boswell. Um, I, I love him and he makes beautiful pieces, but he had actually dressed LeBron that year. Um, and LeBron won MVP. Oh. So if you see, if you Google pictures, he's like in this red suit. And so I was really like in the know of like who everyone was wearing. So I ended up doing a really great job. It was my first red carpet ever. I was wow. 23 at agent and I was like I can't believe it like all this stuff just sort of lined up and, and did you know before that that you wanted to like be an on-camera host or was it like something that you saw you were doing that and you're like yes this is something I want to do more of yeah that's a good question because I didn't really mention that yeah so when I majored in broadcast journalism for all intents and purposes my dream was to be a host and at first it was to be a sideline reporter but then it was like no I want to work in entertainment right I want to be the next Juliana Rancic um and then because I didn't really have money, I went up the production route. I was like, right. let me get in places. Let me be an intern at Ellen. Let me be a PA at E. And, you know, people go either way. People do that. And and I, I think I definitely chose the harder route. It's really hard to go from being behind the camera to in front of the camera. Yeah. But I actually think I took the best route because I love producing. It makes me stronger now on camera. Right. And I also feel like it really... I don't know. It just, it always gave me this backup. You know, I didn't, I never had to wait on tables or anything. I, and you make really good money working in production or I did at least. Sure, anyway, and it's also like you're creating content all the time. We could talk about that later, but you create yeah. so much content. I feel like with your podcast and Heartbreakers Anonymous and your site you were talking about. And I feel like in order to be good at that and being in creating your own work and, and platform to be on camera a lot, you have to know how to produce. Yeah. You have to be a creator. And yeah. You have to what works. So yeah, even though I've dragged this out so long, Style Network was like, you're amazing. Um, we love you. And then the whole Style Network got canceled three weeks later. So I ended up going, I ended up working at E. They had a job for me for two years in the True Hollywood Story Department. Right. Documentaries. And that's later. where you became like an associate producer at some point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. First, yeah. yeah. I love you. And then, <laughs> yeah, so I learned I was an associate producer, got laid off there. Then I worked on The Bachelor. And then I produced The Bachelor for two and a half years. I was like, I need to work in reality or how am I going to pay rent? There's all these reality shows. And then I left there, you know, did another scary jump that I would compare to like when I left Ellen because yeah. I was making 
really good money on Bachelor, but I wasn't, I wasn't like super happy. I, you know, I was traveling the world and it was amazing, but I hadn't been on a date with someone in a while. And, and it's long hours, right? I mean, I don't think yeah, it's, like, it's your whole life. It's yeah. your identity. And your you were life. doing multiple seasons. So it's not like there was a break at some point, right? You were going from Bachelor in Paradise to the next season of The Bachelor to the next season of The Bachelorette. It's like a full time all year thing. Exactly. Exactly. The only month you have off is really December. So it was crazy. And you have long hours, right? It's not like it's just, it's not anywhere near close to a nine to five. No, it's like 16 hour days. So it's, yeah. And did you do the interviews with the the contestants? Like you were the one trying to like, be like, so how was that date? Like, tell me. Yeah, exactly. I figured, you know, I think like if you're in a job that isn't your dream job. And I always tell people bachelor was a dream job, but it wasn't the dream job. Right. And so I was like, how can I capitalize on this? Like, I know I don't want to do this forever. I know this was always a dream to work on this show, but how do I, how do I acquire the skills that I need to do what I want to do later in life? It was through interviews. And I was like, whether I'm on camera or not, I need to be good at conducting an interview. And so, yeah, that's what I did. I I tried to get really good at interviewing the cast and learning what a good soundbite is and how to tell a story and and what audiences resonate with when when they say something. I feel like you really did this like top down approach where you're like, I want this goal. And then like, what do I have to do to get there kind of thing? And I saw, I I read an interview, it was like a Forbes interview where you said something like, let's see if I can find, essentially you create your dream job by making the work that you're doing valuable to you and by seeking opportunities that fall in love with who you are deep down. And I just felt like that really personally resonated with me, but speaks to kind of what you were saying before, which is just that you found different opportunities to get that skill set that you would need to do that dream job eventually. Right. Exactly. And and even if you can't do that in your job currently, like yeah. the time and, and wake up on Saturdays and, and, and work on that stuff to, yes. to get where you want to be. It's always a long process though, but I think I really do. I don't feel like the best person for the job always gets the job. I do think it's the person that has tenacity and, and really proves their point and and, you know, cause in all the jobs I've had, I never had experience. Bachelor hired me. I'd never worked on Bachelor, but I was a massive fan. I loved romance. I was like, I've never had a boyfriend, but I can come up with dream date scenarios. And, and, you know, it, it was very innate to who I was. And I think when you can be like Michelle in a job or we can be fully Naz in a job, I think that's when you're going to be your happiest and perform your best. When you can truly be yourself and bring out the best in you and, and, and offer something that nobody else can offer because we all have our own experiences that we bring to the table. Mm. And so that's what I've really tried to do in every job that I'm in, whether I love it or not, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. So then at The Bachelor, so you so were acquiring those skills, right? So that you have interviewing skills, anything else that you were working on that you feel like really helps you later in non-camera work? Yeah. Hosting work? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you have to be like a whole human and you have to be really happy with who you are and yeah. you have to work through like all the bullshit that we get when we're born or all the bullshit. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that. But, you can curse. Yeah, go for Okay. It. All the BS we get, you know, you know, all our childhood trauma as a therapist would say. And so- not only was I working on like being a better host, just I was working on like being a better human and like what love meant to me and like what, what this big picture was. I, I hadn't, hadn't had like great experience with men and it was really like cool and interesting for me and a really introspective experience to sit across from a lot of men and talk to them about a girl that they were dating. Yeah. And, and just pick their brain on the male psyche and, and how men think and even women too. I, I shouldn't even just say or whoever, yeah, yeah. whatever you identify as it was, 
it was a cool experience to interview people about what love means to them, why yeah. they like somebody one day, why they wake up the next day not liking somebody. Love is this like really magical, like intangible sort of nuanced concept. So it was yeah. like, I was almost like, a, I was like, it was like being a part of a social experiment kind of. Yeah, no, there's a lot of social psychology behind The Bachelor. Like, I feel like, you know, when you put, some people will look at it and just be like, I can't believe after one week, they feel like such yeah. strong feelings for the person. But if you're putting them yourself in like that type of situation, it makes sense. Like there's something psychologically, like it's, it's like an experiment. Like you're putting someone in that kind of environment. They're going to develop feelings after a short period of time. Yeah. If you put 25 male lab rats, you know, in a tank and one female one, she's going to gravitate towards like one to three over all the other. And you're taking away phone and email. Yeah. And, and that's and all you have to do. That's your main objective. Right. There to me. It's like, of course you're turning all those senses on. So yeah. Right. I agree. I think it's a great way to meet someone. But not only was I learning about love, I think the biggest lesson, it was more of like this college and heartbreak, you know, mm -hmm. and, and why people feel the way they do and how we all have this innate sense of belonging or wanting to feel like we belong and how people are actually like really lonely. Like we're in a pandemic right now and nobody talks about how we're in this epidemic of loneliness yeah. and you know, it wasn't until modern, it wasn't really until recently where people even lived alone. Like that was like unheard of a hundred years ago. Yeah. Now one in four people in the United States live by themselves. So yeah, I really learned about heartbreak, which is why when I left Bachelor, I sort of took another leap of faith and jump and, and I was unemployed just to focus on like really trying to become a host and, and really trying to find love for myself. It was interesting because I didn't realize how much of the show stayed within me as I started dating this person and was sort of in this gray area with them for six months. And it was traumatizing, right? Not knowing if you're exclusive with someone. It's yeah, it's not, it's not a fun thing to live through um, for six months. And I was totally ready. Ready, but I, at least I thought I was ready. I wasn't really ready, but yeah. I just like, wanted this, this thing that I felt everybody else had around me. And then I met my neighbor, which I'm sure you've read about, but like my, I had a neighbor that knocked on my door and I hadn't really, we didn't really know each other. We met right. each other twice, but because on the bachelor, I was traveling all the time. So I didn't really get to know my neighbors and she was going through a breakup and confided in me and told me her story and told me she felt so much better talking to me about it. She couldn't really talk to people in her own life about it because she was scared that they were just going to tell her, you know, to move on or that she's so much better than this person. And on all this great unsolicited advice, we all get when we're heartbroken, right? right. From our family, like, and it's no fault to them. People just no, want to, they just want to help. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, nobody can take that pain of heartbreak away. And so when I had met her, when she told me her story, I started to really think about her. And I started thinking about Bachelor, like I was telling you, it really stayed within me and how we just are more willing to tell a stranger how we actually feel than the people in our own lives and just yeah. this concept. And I was like, that's sort of how we make the show. And so, yeah, so that led me to, and then I went through a heartbreak. The guy that I was dating kind of blindsided me and I felt really like the cast on the show, you know, when they're in the car crying and I felt, I had never felt it for myself. So it was really, it was this foreign feeling where I was like, whoa, why doesn't anybody talk about how like really terrible this is? This is like, really debilitating. Like, yeah, you get like physical, you feel it physically. Yeah. And I remember Googling, like, how can I make this feeling go away? I felt I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I had nightmares. And 
I came across, you know, this research that's like the same part of your brain that lights up when you're going through physical pain is the same part of your brain that lights up when yep. you're going through emotional pain. And so I was like, whoa, like how, why do we have all these resources in our country and in the world, like hospitals and stuff when you're going through physical pain, but you have to get a $200 or $150 an hour therapist just to try and feel better. Like when you're going through a divorce or your dog dies. Right. Right with your mom, like that doesn't seem feasible or sustainable. So full circle, I started this support group called Heartbroken Anonymous. And it's sort of like Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's not a 12-step program. I'm not like a licensed therapist, but um, it's just a support group where you can go and talk to people about heartbreak. And it's any kind of heartbreak. It's not just the romantic kind. And I hate that like specifically in American culture, I think when we think of heartbreak, we think of a girl getting dumped by a guy, right? And like little ridges in the middle. That's the visual. That's the visual. And I think that's really unfair, you know, because men are, men get heartbroken too. Yeah. And it's just, yes. And, and anything can cause heartbreak, like those examples I was saying. So it's, it's been amazing. Um, I never thought my shitty love life would literally become a part of my brand, but yeah. So I started this support group called Heartbroken Anonymous. And, and you know, we meet twice a month now over Zoom in the pandemic. But and then I finally, you know, after I left Bachelor and, and I went through that breakup after starting Heartbroken Anonymous, I, you know, started a podcast with my friend Ashley I, who was on the Bachelor. Which is great. It's so good. That's how I found you, actually. I saw like I listened to a podcast and I was like, oh, who's she? And I was like, oh, my God, I, I know. Her. <laughs> oh, that's it. How did you find it? It's so weird. I follow Monica the Medium. Oh my God. So I had a crazy experience. That, so I heard that experience. So I, I listened to that episode. I was remember thinking like, is she able to like channel people via podcasts? Like that makes no sense. And I knew you guys weren't in the same room and stuff, obviously. And uh, you had an incredible experience. Yeah. And I was like, who is this girl? Also, you sounded awesome. I think that was one of those things where I just really gravitated to you anyway, not just because your story was very powerful and you had this very emotional, memorable experience, uh, but also like you just, there was something about you that even if it was just voice, it was just podcast, you really came alive. There was just something about your personality that was very mm-hmm. sort of um, relatable and just, it just jumped right out of the, you know, my speakers, if you will. So no, it's really nice of you to say, I feel the same way with you and like this, like small, you know, interaction we're having over zoom now. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was like looking up all your stuff, which is like, so amazing. Like you've been in like such cool shows and stuff. Yeah. We're Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm like a fan, you know, It's, it's cool. We all have our own little life journeys, but yeah. So I, you know, I'm finally a host. I'm still single. I'm still hosting Heartbroken Anonymous and and it's all a journey and, and I'm sorry that that was so long. <laughs> no, not at all. No, this is perfect. That was exactly right. I mean, and so with the podcast, what's, I mean, you've been doing that for four years, right? Yeah. So after I left Bachelor in 2017, that was the year, um, I, st- I'm sorry, 2016. I, that was the year I, um, no. It was I can probably tell you. Yeah, no, it was 2017. I'm terrible with years. Yeah. In 2017, after I officially left The Bachelor, I started working for the Dodgers. I started Heartbroken Anonymous after I went through my heartbreak. And now I work for Rotten Tomatoes and I host the I Don't Get It podcast with my two friends that were on The Bachelor. So I've been doing all that stuff for the past three and a half, four years now. 
And, you know, I mean, I always admire people who've been doing podcasts for, for that much time because it wasn't a big thing back then. Like, I feel like when podcasts around then, it was just, it was just started getting its groove. A lot of people maybe were listening to their first podcast, you know, it was, yeah. it was newer. So first of all, well done on, on kind of setting that. That's a big deal. But yeah, also, yeah, go on. It's funny because we, um, we were the first bachelor podcast. Now there's a million and we right. actually don't talk about the bachelor at all. We were just the first people from the franchise, from the franchise. and, and we just celebrated our 200th episode. Congrats. That's huge. Yeah. Wow. So what did you go into it thinking it would be? So it was funny, Ashley got approached to do a podcast. You know, she had just been on the show and was gaining like a really big following. And I was her producer and her sister's producer. Um, and she was like, you know, I know you want to host. I know that's like been your dream and you just left the show. Like, what if we do this together? And I was like, at first I was like, Ugh, I don't know. Like, what is a podcast? Like, what is this? Mean? <laughs> You're like, I want to be on camera. <laughs> no, it wasn't even no. that. It was just, it was more like I knew we'd have to produce it as well, which I don't, I think, you know, it's a big undertaking. To it is. That's every week to have to come up with a topic every week and get guests. But of course I was like, oh my God, yeah, let's do it. And um, I remember then the podcast network we work with was like, we well, have to decide what you want to call it and what it's going to be about. And I just thought about like all the times Ashley and I were in the car. Cause you know, we really bonded over the fact that we were, you know, almost 30. We had never had a boyfriend and every Which time. Which is we're such like, a common story, by the way. It really is. And I get really triggered. I shouldn't, but I get really triggered when, you know, and I get this all the time every day. What? Like, no way. That's your fault. You didn't want to be with anyone. What? And I'm like, no, that's, that's so insane. And I'll tell you why. And it was, so every day, every day we were in the car and we were like, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> like we were just like talking about things you don't get. And I was like, what if we call our podcast? I don't get it. And we could literally just talk about anything every week. Yeah. And so Ashley decided our first episode should be about, you know, how we don't get how girls get boyfriends. And so we just did it. And Facebook Live like launched that month. I'll never forget. Remember oh, that was the whole yes. live going live on Facebook. So we recorded a podcast, but did it live on Facebook too. And we got all this like feedback from women around the country wow. that also were our age, just like I was saying, also had never experienced, been in a serious relationship. And you know, everyone's always like, well, what's wrong with you? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with anyone. No. It's either timing or, you know, I mean, I take it's it a back. lot of factors. I take it back. There's something wrong with everyone. Right. But it's right. never just that person's fault. No. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. So that it sort of blew up. We were like 11 on iTunes our first week. And wow. Like, well, and like, you know, our category, but, but still, um, that's a huge deal. Yeah. So it just, since then we just took it and ran with it. And, you know, we talked about sex in the city a lot and dating and bigs and, you know, but we also talk about, you know, people that have sugar daddies or people who are embalmers and do stuff that we don't get that we yeah. want. And so it's been such a fun journey and, and celebrating 200 episodes of that. Like, I feel like I need to sit in that a little longer because it Please, is celebrate your wins. I feel like people don't celebrate their wins enough, but they're so quick to celebrate their losses. Yeah. Or like, which you should too. I mean, you can definitely sort of seep into like the emotional turmoil of the, of a loss or of the disappointments or the regrets. But I definitely think we need to celebrate our wins more. So definitely do something for yourself to celebrate. You are that. such a yeah. Oh, how long have you been doing this podcast? Not long. This is uh, it's probably a little a little over three months. I think I'm just. Oh my god! Months. Congrats! That's Thanks. cute. Yeah, you're so good. At it. I yeah, appreciate it. Really cool. 
It's been really fun. I really, I've gotten so much from it and I, I just, I love it so much. Like I didn't realize I would, but I was interviewing stuff for the college that I went to. I was organizing events for them. And as I was moderating panels and interviewing people, I was like, oh, this, this makes sense. This definitely feels good. And especially with the pandemic and everything shutting down, you know, by way of TV and film and auditions, or just at least slowing down dramatically. It felt like I had more time to finally do this. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's good. It's also, it's not like either or, you know, it's that's right. what's so dope about being a millennial is you can sort of be like this Renaissance woman if you yes. want to, you know. Yeah. Which you definitely are. I mean, we didn't really like, I, it's funny with people with like LinkedIn, for example, like, you know, you go down, you try to get to like the first job this person ever had. When someone tries to do that for you, when I tried to do that for you, I had to keep clicking like more experiences, please. Like five more experiences here. It just kept going. And it really like we, you know, we talk about Ellen being your first job, which is I had a feeling that was what you were going to say. But prior to that, like you said, you had so many roles, you know, just freelance positions, PA roles, internships throughout college. So you went into your Ellen internship with like a whole resume, maybe like a two page resume, I'd probably say. Yeah, with like, yeah, that's so interesting. I never thought about it like that. But yeah, I mean, I started working. I, I can't remember when you're legally allowed to start working. I want to say it's 16, but I started actually working at 14. Mm. And it's all like product of your environment. You know, my parents, we grew up in a really affluent neighborhood in, in Boca Raton, Florida, but we, yes. it always felt like we were running out of money. Like we didn't have enough. Um, my mom came from a really poor town in Dominican Republic. So I think a part of that's like her neuroses of like, you know, yeah. so I never really got any money ever. <laughs> I don't want to say ever, ever, but I, I always had to like, really, you know, I had to work if I, all your spending money was, yeah. Like I didn't have an allowance or anything. I think my parents would give us like a quarter if we washed the car. Like it was insane. You know, it's very like ethnic, you know, yeah. <laughs> growing up in a non-white family. Yeah. My mom's from Israel. So it's a lot of that too. A lot yeah. of like, no, you go just do that. <laughs> like, yeah. So it was rough, but I mean, it's, it's all amazing. It made me who I am. It was all character building. And, and yeah, but I haven't taken a step to think about that. I think when I did work at Ellen, what would have been maybe a lot of people's first experiences working was actually one of my like 10th, you know, I worked at like, it really was a secret. I was a camp counselor. My first job was at Dunkin Donuts. See, so. none of that was even on your LinkedIn. Yeah. So I was talking about the ones that are like, you know, the like tennis sports and BA, like all that stuff. But you're right. You probably had so many other jobs in addition to those because those don't usually pay. Obviously. Yeah. 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 Those were like all internships in college, like um, just in sports, you know, right. it was like coffee or like reversing coil, which is what it's called when you're like <laughs> wire around your arm, you know, <laughs> fun stuff, yeah. memorable stuff. So you said in an interview once that, yeah, what makes you unique is like your greatest strength. What do you think some are some of your strengths or what do you think are some of the things that make you unique? Yeah. So I think, um, I think your greatest superpower is your, is also your greatest flaw. Mm. So for me, um, I suffer from a disease that people really don't talk about enough, but it's called perfectionism. And it's not like, and when I say that, it's not like, oh, I just want to be perfect and look perfect. Um, having like real, like a real perfectionism complex and disease is like you, you really, um, you're so hard on yourself say and it, everything is an absolute fail if it's not perfect. And it's a really unhealthy way to live in your brain because life isn't perfect. Nothing ever goes according to plan. Um, and just nothing's perfect. If you're perfect, you know, you, 
you're an alien or a robot. Not <laughs> yeah. So, not human. so it's really hard. I have to constantly fight against that. And I've gotten so much better at it. But yeah, it's just my, so to answer your question, I think my greatest strength is my perfectionism. Um, mm. even though I hate it and I wish I didn't have it, but if I didn't have, I think it's kept me from being mediocre. I think it's always driven me. It, it's a part of my ambition. It's, it's me wanting to get things right. Me over prepping for an interview. Right. And, and again, like I said, it's not, it's not the best way to live. You know, I shouldn't not, I mean, there were times when I first started working at Dodger stadium where, excuse me, it's, um, it was like one of the scariest hosting jobs I ever took in my first real, real one after style network. Cause, um, wow. I was supposed to be live in front of 50,000 people in, in, an, in a stadium <sighs> wow. echo and you don't have a teleprompter and you really have to be present and, and you have to deal with fans and people drinking and like external factors and like maybe a plane going by, like you really have to be super present. And so to be a perfectionist in that environment is really, you have to really let go. And, and there were moments where like, you know, you're, I was like totally a duck, like chill on the outside, but like my feet were just going crazy. Right. Like, and your heart. Like, yeah. My heart's like, my heart rate would just like, you know, just get so quick. So yeah, it's kept me. It's uh, what I was saying is, is like, there were times before the games where my friend, my friends would be like, do you want to get coffee? And they, let's say the game was like at one or two. And I would say no. And it's because mm. I have anxiety and I just wanted to be at home and recite my lines over and over again until right. one, which is not a normal way to be. You know, you should be able to get coffee with your friend and live your life and then go do your job, you know? So right. I think I've worked through that, you know, that was like early on, but, um, but yeah, I think it's my strength too, though, because when I get there, it's like, I nail it out of the park 99% of the time. So right. it's like, it's this give and take, you know? Well, I mean, I find with a lot of perfectionists, it's almost sometimes so hard to even start something because either you're planning too much or like you have so much you're worried about, then it's hard for you to like make that step and just take it and just do it. But I find that you're someone who is a doer and you are constantly doing. So how do you, cause I, I do, have, I mean, I'm a perfectionist. I have a lot of friends who are perfectionists and it's hard. We've talked about it. It's sometimes hard to take that first step and create something. So how yeah. do you consistently do that being a Yeah. So I think my other superpower is um, my fearlessness. And I think that's what's gotten me through my perfectionism because I agree with you. Perfectionism can really hold you back in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I've been scared of so much, like scared of bombing at Dodger Stadium, but I drove there every time I, I had a call. I never backed out once, like scared of getting my heart broken, but I continue to put myself out there and like wear my heart on my sleeve and like really be vulnerable with people. And and like you keep getting knocked down and it's really hard to get up. And the one thing to answer your question that really helps me get up is this thought that we're all going to die one day. And I think people forget that we are all going to die. You know, I think people forget that they're going to get old. I think we get really stuck in the problems of today and right now. And like, you know, my face is going to be really wrinkly one day. Like I'm not going to be able to like get out of bed you know, I'm not like if I go to Pilates or I'm playing tennis now, I'm not going to be able to hit the ball as hard one day. And so I really try and like remind myself of that. And that stuff really grounds me and keeps me present and keeps me living in the moment. And it's sort of like I have nothing. I really have nothing to lose. Yeah. And nobody really does. Nobody has so like anything great. to lose because you're going to die one day. And and I love this question um, that I've posed to people in interviews before, which is like, if death is certain, 
but the time of death is uncertain, then what is the most important thing? And so I ask myself that a lot of the time. And I think the most important thing is to live now and live brave and live bold mm, and yeah. not have any regrets. And so I don't know. I mean, oh, I've, I love that. Told guys, I've definitely told people I love them. And, you know, I've had a lot of friends be like, you know, it's probably a little too much. You probably shouldn't have said anything. And did But at least like when I'm in hospice one day or if I get in a car accident tomorrow, like, I don't know, I, I was completely 100% authentically Naz and no one can yeah. take that away from me. And what's, and what's that quote? It's like, you don't regret the things you do. You regret the things that you don't do. Right. You read the things you didn't say. You didn't say. And, yeah. And even just hosting Heartbroken Anonymous, you know, twice a month and just listening to so many stories of heartbreak and, and seeing the state of the world and living in LA in 2020, you know, through the fires, through Black Lives Matter, through COVID, um, right. you know, it's really been the epicenter of so many things. And, and what I've learned is that a lot of the problems that we have in the world are because people don't see each other and don't really want to listen to each other. And so we have this massive miscommunication problem, you know, where it's like so many of the the problems in the world would be resolved if we just listened yeah. to each other and, and yeah. told each other how we actually feel. If we didn't fade out, if we didn't ghost, if we didn't like pretend to not be mad at our friend, but then instead, you know, we're passive aggressive with them. I just, I, I don't, I, it, I hate that I have to play by those rules because that's what everyone else is playing. But I rather just be like, hey, this really upset me. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, like this is really uncool. Hey, I was wrong yesterday. I'm so sorry. Just you know, to and, it. and so many people come to the meetings and they're like, I don't even know if this person loved me and was mm. it all fake and da da. And I always think like, wow, if that person just called them right now, it wouldn't make right. them feel better. It would not right. make them feel better because a lot of people think closure would make me feel better. It wouldn't. You'd probably feel just as shitty, maybe even worse, but you wouldn't be left wondering. And you wouldn't be left wondering why you didn't ask or why you didn't, you know. Right. And you would have this faith in humanity that would just remain mm. intact, you know, like yeah. that people are actually good and it's not about you and that you don't need to take it personally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You obviously do so much. You wear a lot of hats. How much do you think it's divided by more or less? Like, do you do like 30% this, 40% hosting, 20% this? Yeah. I think right now, you know, I like to look at the silver lining and I know this year has just been abysmal for most people, but I think 2020 has allowed me to really have a good work-life balance. Good. I would say right now I'm like 60% work, 40% life and, and self-care and meditating. That's great. Yeah. But I, I don't, it would definitely wasn't always like that. And it probably will probably go back to an imbalance once things go back to normal. I mean, who knows where I'll be? Maybe I'll be in a relationship and that won't be the case, but I think before it was definitely like 88% work and like, I don't know, what is that? 12% yeah. <laughs> like life, which is, I don't recommend for anyone. I think it's really important to remember why we're here, why we're on this earth, you know? And, and I don't think work is, I don't think work is everything, even though I love my career and I put my all into it. I've also I've had the luxury to do that. I wasn't in a relationship, you know, I'm not taking care of anyone and people yeah. in different circumstances. Sometimes you have to take care of your little brother or sometimes you have a kid. Like, right. So I, I think I, I'm right where I'm meant to be. And so I, I think right now, 60, 40 is great for me. Um, a part of me wishes I, I was working more because being single, you know, leads to definitely being lonely, especially in yeah. isolation quarantine. But I also think it's good that I'm sitting with this uncomfortableness and, and I'm having to really like become really strong in this time when, when I am alone during that 40%. Get even, get, I would say get even stronger. 
Yeah, there you go. I like yeah, because you're definitely yeah. strong. And then, so sort of ended, I guess, I, I'd love to talk more about, you know, this dream job that you have hosting for Rotten Tomatoes. So tell me about that. How did that start? Yeah, so Fandango owns Rotten Tomatoes. And a couple of years ago, I started doing junkets for Fandango here and there, um, straight up audition, you know, like casting call, and then they nice. tried me out. And then um, I think once I started working for them more, they were they had more stuff going on on the Rotten Tomatoes side. And I had never, you know, I like Fandango because I loved movies. When they asked me to come to Rotten Tomatoes, I didn't realize it at first. My perfectionism was like, are you good enough to work here? You know, and then, yeah. of course, I've worked through that. And of course I am, you know. Of course and you are. It is, it is absolutely a dream job because I think, and I think it's important to recognize that your dreams do change right. over the course of time. And I think it's important to change with your meaning. Like, what is your meaning? Just because you wanted to be an astronaut when you were seven doesn't mean you need to continue to be an astronaut at 29 just because you don't have a plan B. Mm. You need to take a step back and ask yourself, do I actually really still want to be an astronaut? Don't be an astronaut because you said you wanted to. And that's a like, really hard thing to kind of move yeah. from. I remember when I had left Bachelor and I was like trying to get on E and it just, I, it wasn't fitting, right? There was nothing for me there. I wasn't like getting called. I had like friends that were getting called there. And I was mm. like, and there was a point in time where I was like, you know, I don't, do I, do I really care about celebrity news that much? Is that, is that my meaning? Is that what I care about now that I've been, now that I've created Heartbroken Anonymous? And, and I realized that what I actually really love is talking to people and interviewing people and getting to interview actors and of TV shows and movies about the message behind their film and what they're trying to say to the world and how they embody a character and the psyche behind them. It's, it's way more in line with like who Naz is than just like how it was working on Bachelor. Just, I just have this innate curiosity for, for people and how they think about things and, and why they do things. So so yeah, working for Rotten Tomatoes is an absolute dream job. And then it's the world, you know, you make plans and God laughs because right. now I'm working for E too. I know. I was thinking that. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're on E Nightly Pop like two days ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a super recent thing and it's so um, exciting for me. And, and it really is such a full circle moment. And I love it's that. grateful for because here I was, my second job after Ellen, you know, was, was working on these red carpets and now, now to be on camera and to have made it from behind the camera to in front of the camera has just been such, such a joy and such a journey that's like ongoing and, you know, it's an ongoing struggle and, and celebratory occasion. Um, but it's really awesome. Yeah. Like one of those things or once you let go of it, it like comes to you. you and know? I'm seeing that so much with different yeah. mentor stories that I'm interviewing that it's so amazing how sometimes if you let go of that thing just a little bit, it's mm -hmm. almost like with anything, with your career, with boys, with like girls, with, with friends, it's like yeah. if you hold on to it for so long, it just doesn't fit. But then sometimes if you let it go and pursue other dreams and do other things that like give you joy there's always this roundabout thing back to what you originally wanted, but I guess maybe because we weren't holding on to it quite as much or. I think, I think when we want something so bad, we tend to get really impatient with mm. things. And it's almost like if you're trying to, if you're doing a puzzle and you have like one piece left, you have like two pieces left and one of them, you yeah. want the right puzzle piece. And you're just trying to squeeze it in. You're like, I just want right. a puzzle. Like go. Yes. It doesn't fit. 
And I think that's where a lot of heartbreak and our frustration lies when things don't happen when we want them to happen, when we don't end up with the person that we thought we were supposed to end up with, when we don't get the people we thought we were supposed to have. And I try and remind myself of this all the time. And it's really hard. It's really hard in the moment. Because in the moment, your brain just goes to absolutes. You're like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to Yeah. These blanket statements. Yeah. And, and life isn't black and white, you know, life is gray and life isn't perfect. Like I said, it's very imperfect. So I think once you take a deep breath and you become patient and you do just like you were saying, Michelle, like focus on yourself. Um, I think then one day you're, you know, you're in the bathroom and you find that puzzle piece under the rug and then it's time to finish it. And you're like, oh, now oh. is supposed to finish it, you know? <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, that's a great place to sort of end it on. That's amazing. Thank you. I mean, also because I love the visual of the puzzle piece and <laughs> finding in the bathroom. Thank you so much. Gosh, I'm, I'm really just very grateful for your time and your story. I'm grateful for you having me. And I feel terrible that I didn't get to like know anything about you more. And no, love- that's, that's part of this. I wanted yeah. to hear all about you. We have to meet up and get coffee when the world is like safer. A little, and- yeah, I would love that. I absolutely love that because you're just an absolute joy to talk to. So thank, thank you. you. Guys, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview. And I just wanted to read a review for you from Dana Marisa Schoenfeld. So she writes, fantastic podcast, five stars. Michelle is a natural. She asks insightful questions and has really impressive, interesting, accomplished guests on the show. I am loving this. Thanks, Dana. Um, And if you are a person who likes to help other people, please, can you go on Apple Podcasts? The link is in my bio on my Instagram page, if that's easier. And just rate and review. It really helps in growing this podcast, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend you know would love it. Let me know what you learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram, at Mentors on the Mic. I will be sharing even more information about our mentors there. These are crazy times, and now more than ever, it's so important to connect. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes. Every week I'm choosing a review to read on an episode. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. Thanks.